Hi, everyone. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out, the December 3rd, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. We all hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and enjoyed our uh, trip back to the time machine, the 1973 extended cut that we offered on the Friday after Thanksgiving, as is our tradition. If you missed it, and of course, uh, an award-winning shirt that I was wearing for representing 1973, it is available on our website and also referenced in a wonderful uh, article uh, piece from uh, our own Patty Calhoun, so be sure to check it out if you missed it. Let's get to today's show. Topic one, Colorado lawmakers have announced a plan to keep abortion legal in the state by enshrining it into Colorado state law, whether or not the U.S. Supreme Court decides to overturn Roe v. Wade. Democratic Representative Meg Fralick plans to sponsor the legislation, stating the importance of the bill and, and to keep look at the entire spectrum of reproductive care that includes birth control and abortions. Patty Cahoon from Westford, we begin with you. Uh, even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, this is not likely to change a lot of things in Colorado because there are not any laws officially in the books. And when laws have been on the ballot or proposals have been on the ballot um, to restrict abortion rights, that hasn't happened. So do you see this announcement as something that is a necessary legal move or uh, political? Well, it's both. I mean, we would be, I would say most people in Colorado would be very concerned if there were infringements on the right to choose. Interesting you bring up 73, and, and Dick Lamb was on that show. And Dick Lamb, th- just six years earlier than 1973, had as a representative, a young representative, pushed through the legislation that did make Colorado the first state in the country that allowed abortion. Obviously very limited compared to what it is today, in certain states. But still, it was groundbreaking. It was amazing that he pushed it. And for Colorado now to lose the freedom that women have over their own bodies would be, I would say, criminal uh, in many ways. But the the difference is you've got politics. You have Christy Burton Brown, who is now the head of the Colorado Republican Party. She had pushed the personhood amendment. It didn't pass, but that doesn't mean Things haven't changed in this country. Look at how much things have changed in this country with certain sides. Uh, But there could be bills that would pass that would infringe on rights. And so I think to enshrine everything we can in the Colorado Constitution now would be good. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. How do you uh, look at the current proposal as necessary? Because there aren't laws really one way or the other in Colorado, but certainly uh, a a culture and history that points in one direction. Right. So as Patty said, we had the law sponsored by Representative Richard Lamb back in 1967, um, and which still by 1973, when Roe v. Wade was decided, was still one of the most liberal abortion laws in the country. Roe v. Wade wiped out almost every state abortion law. And if it's overturned, then we go back to where we were, where, where states can decide. Uh, the people of Colorado over the years have made lots of decisions. They enacted a constitutional amendment to say no taxpayer funding for abortion. Uh, we, they have laws on uh, parental notification for minors with some opt-outs and, and exceptions in appropriate cases. So enacting the statute is a and, – and then, as Patty said also, proposals for much more restrictive uh, laws have been soundly defeated at the ballot box. So I would expect the legislature will pass a statute formalizing all that. I think the question is, how far will they go between what I think the the middle of the road of Colorado would favor, which is general access in normal situations, or will they go 
all the way and say you can have an abortion at, at eight and a half months uh, for sex selection. Andy McNulty, civil rights attorney with Kilmer Lane and Newman. It's great to have you back on the show. Andy, um, this is bringing out a lot of energy in both sides of this issue right before an election year uh, in Colorado, which, well, it hasn't been, you know, the, 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 the history shows it's not an issue that really changes a lot, but that could certainly affect the politics. When you look at this proposal and the effect it might have in 2022, what are your thoughts? Well, not only in Colorado, but nationwide, uh, a woman's right to choose and to control her own body is immensely popular. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a popular issue. Um, you know, it polls over 50 percent in Colorado nationwide. So if there was going to be a proposal to restrict it, it, I think it would be met with some backlash. This proposal is in line with what the people of Colorado want. And I think something we're not talking about is that the Colorado Constitution has independent rights that protect you. So even if the Supreme Court were to ter- overturn Roe v. Wade, who's to say that the Colorado Supreme Court wouldn't say that that right is also in the Colorado Constitution? Denise Maes joins us, uh, a public policy expert and a founder of Maes Communications. Denise, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, Denise, you look at this, there's political ramifications in Colorado, but also maybe even within the legislature of how these lawmakers are going to handle it. Do you think there will be a lot of push to go one way or the other or to get it done quickly so that it doesn't dominate the entire session? Very good question. You know, uh, I was actually behind an effort last legislative session to pass a bill along these lines, and it was met with some resistance from leadership because leadership was worried about galvanizing um, the the far right uh, opposing something like this, and they were worried that it would overwhelm the legislative session. So I'm actually glad to see that there seems to be some willingness to go forward in this way, and I think this is great. The one thing that I want to underscore is that I do hope that um, that this is one part of um, an abortion rights effort, I think we should have in our state constitution that we should enshrine the right to um, an abortion. And it's not so much um, exclusively about choice, uh, to Patty's point, is I think we need to get rid of the public funding ban so that we can create true access to abortion rights, because choice without access is no choice at all. And so um, I would love to see the state of Colorado move even in a more progressive way on this issue. Certainly an issue we'll be talking about for, for a while and into 2022. Next topic, Colorado state legislators proposed a bill that would increase the state pension fund by over $300 million. That's $300 million. One underscore, that's a lot of money. The high price tag is an attempt to make up for the $225 million toward the pension that had fallen through last year. This bill is in conjunction with the others that works, that in the works, that could mean up to 30, that would that would offset the $30 billion in unfunded debt for participants of the Public Employees Retirement Association, or PARA for short. Uh, David, there's a lot here. We're talking about a $30 billion shortfall overall. The state promising to feed into it over, I don't know how many years, I think like 30 years, $225 million at a time. COVID happens last year, so they skip it. Now they're trying to make up for it, but there's a lot there. Your thoughts? There's two ways to have pensions these days. One is the fair way, which is called a defined contribution plan. You have some money taken out of your paycheck and set aside, like in a tax-free account, and your employer makes some match to that. And then that money is yours immediately, and it, it's guaranteed. And that's what most people in, uh, with private employers have these days. The unfair system is what's called defined benefit, where, yeah, you get your money taken out, and, but it doesn't 
go into account for you. It just goes into the general government fund or someplace. And the government says, oh, I owe you. We promise you we'll pay you so much uh, 30 years from now, which isn't often an enforceable promise. And the governments um, don't fund those pensions the way they need to to make them actuarially sound. So as you said, the Colorado Public Employees Retirement accounts, which pay for public school teachers and state employees and the state patrol and everybody else, is $30 billion underfunded. If they were a private business, they would have been taken over by the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation for their gross mismanagement. And once again, the legislature didn't put in the money it promised. Uh, it should, but that's just a drop in the bucket. It's, even if they put in $300 million to make up, because if they put in the money when they should have in 2020, it would have grown thanks to the good stock market. Even if they put that in, it's only 1% of the way towards getting PARA back on the basis of actuarially sound and, and able to pay the pensions uh, that it's promised. Andy, this is going to bring up uh, some odd times in legislature because we're already seeing people on both sides uh, support this idea and both sides argue with this idea because there's the idea of, you know, getting that interest paid that would have happened. Well, how do you define that? Um, also acknowledging that this, well, we need to make some sort of effort, but it's $30 billion. Does something bigger need to happen? As you're looking at the ramifications of this towards next year, is this the right move? Yeah, I believe it's the right move. You know, these folks, they, they have these pensions and they are counting on them to retire. Imagine getting to retirement and you think that you're going to have a guaranteed income for the rest of your life and you don't have it. In this country, in the richest country in the world, in, in one of the richest states in, this, in the country, you know, we have a ton of tax revenue in this state. Um, we should be funding pensions. We should make sure that people who are getting older aren't getting poorer and aren't dying in poverty. You know, we live, we live in America and that should be a promise that we have here. Denise, this is also something that impacts Colorado citizens from around the entire state. There are retired uh, uh, Colorado State uh, patrol officers all the way in Yuma that are affected just as much as a teacher in downtown Denver. So I imagine it's going to get a lot of bipartisan attention. How do you think the legislature should go about addressing both this particular issue and then the broader point? Well, I, you know, I think it is interesting that it does already seem to have some bipartisan support, and I think that's primarily why, is because it does affect, you know, a pretty wide swath of, of Coloradans, and so it's important. I think there's also some broad bipartisan support because folks see it for what it was. It was a promise. It was a promise that our state legislature made in legislation that they would make these sort of payments. And I think the notion of not paying it this next legislative session just means we're kicked the can down the road because um, when you have a $38 billion debt um, and it affects your credit rating, that's something that gets folks' attention and you got to pay and you, and you got to pay attention to it. And if we don't now, we're going to have to do it later. So may as well get it done now. Uh, Patty, the, the video coverage of the legislature handling anything associated with PARA is not exactly a rating skyrocket winner. So uh, there's not a lot of people who dig into the details of this, but it affects a whole lot of people, over 600,000 people across the state, and it's a whole lot of money. So is it getting the attention it needs? Does it need to be a bigger headline? I think the headline's big enough because clearly legislators are paying attention and people who are up for parapensions are paying attention. It's a commitment the state made. The commitment has to be kept, but you have to keep an eye on it in the future so you don't let the debt grow as much. And too bad we can't make sure that private companies who make commitments 
that those commitments are also held for the people who want to go to retire and find out their money's gone. Looking at the next topic, Denver City Council has officially approved the first ever state, uh, the first ever safe camping site on city property. The camp will be built in the parking lot by a Denver Human Services building and will feature ice fishing tents for warmth. I think I even saw one with a little Cabela sign on it and durability, and as well as a centralized sanitation system. Andy, we start with you on this one. Uh, the the city is simply leasing out to an organization. I think for like ten dollars to handle it. So it's not as if the it's not a city program. They're just using city property. But the city has a lot of property. The city has a lot of parking lots and everything else. Uh, is this coming soon enough? Does the city need to be more active about doing things like this, at least with its property? I'll say this, Dominic. It's a, f- a good first step. And it, it's a step that should have been taken years and years and years ago. You know, other cities in Colorado and across the nation have had safe camping sites operating in their downtown areas because of the explosion of the unhoused population. Um, and so it's only been exacerbated by the pandemic. You know, um, if they opened up 10 more of these safe camping sites tomorrow, they would all be filled. That we have a huge supply issue that's not met with any demand. With any, or a huge demand issue that's not met with any of the supply from the city. The city has an obligation to make sure that all of its residents are safe and in housing. And this is the first step to, to, on that path. The city needs to do a lot more, um, but it's a good first step. Denise, it feels like these kinds of partnerships are popular because you have a program uh, that is working to create the whole idea and the city is not, this isn't a city program, they're just simply leasing property. If that is at least a solution to a problem that doesn't have one solution, it's just this is just one particular angle, uh, should there be more energy within the city council to do more things like this and more urgency? Absolutely, 100%. You know, what's interesting is when you talk about its popularity, you know, there might be the neighborhood that likes to think that they really do care about individuals that are unhoused and want something to be done for them. But then you also have some of those same people that are the NIMBYs that say, not in my backyard. And what I want to do is, you know, is give a good shout out to the um, Village Collaborative because, you know, they're finding neighbors in Park Hill. They're, um, you know, in, in the Clayton neighborhood all over the city. And so... Um, there is a certain sense of popularity, except when it's when you don't want it in your backyard. And, and to Andy's point, I think that's why this is an important first step. I mean, the city has kind of come to this kicking and dragging to this party. <laughs> and so uh, now that they've got one, let's hope that they'll they'll see that there's very, very little negative neighborhood impact. And they'll continue to move these sorts of projects along, because, like Andy said, there certainly is a huge need. Patty, we've talked about the, this issue um, a lot on <laughs> this program, and it deserves that conversation. And we know there is not one solution that just you do more of this and it's all taken care of. But this seems to have shown success and some popularity. Uh, the city council passed it 11 to 1, so there seems to be some political energy there. Do you think that will get magnified and energized as we get into next year? Sure, because they just approved four million more going to this program. But to go up to Nisa's point, in April 2020, when Cole Chandler and other service providers presented this concept to Mary Hancock, Hancock said no way. He didn't like the safe camping site idea. He turned around by July, but by then they still couldn't find any city-owned property that would work. People complained about using the Coliseum parking lot. They complained about a place very close to here in Five Points. So that's when they got the 
um, Cole Chandler and the other service providers went to churches and they rented church parking lots because those were private so they didn't need the approval of the city. The first two opened last December. They proved very efficient, small scale, but very efficient in helping people who weren't comfortable in shelters getting off the streets into a protected area. And it's not just sanitation that is centralized, it's services. So you can get help to people. Now we're opening our sixth, the one just opened in Lincoln Park. The sixth will be the first one on city property. But the success rate has been really strong. It is still, though, just a small percentage of the population that's being helped. David, this isn't exactly a free market solution, but it feels within that spirit where you have a private organization making some headway, even if it's just a little bit, um, and getting you know some sort of government assistance when it looks at uh, using a parking lot. But is that where we might see more solutions, is, you, is utilizing the, the progress within private organizations rather than looking to the city to suddenly solve this? Sure, that that can help, and, and hopefully these you know fifty tents uh, that are going up in this location will be fifty tents that are no longer on camped outside of somebody's apartment building or all over downtown, and, and which does create a under, uh, understandable atmosphere of, of, of fear and, and decay around the city. So so that's great. the The sad thing is nobody really knows what the solution is. Mayor Hickenlooper had this grandiose plan that he was going to end homelessness, and that turned into nothing. People who say that it's the only problem with the homeless is they don't have a house, uh, that, that's true for some, but not, not for many others. Los Angeles has spent over $1.2 billion in building housing for the homeless, the homeless, and its homeless population has doubled. Getting to our next topic, RTD has announced a new security plan for Union Station after the union, consisting of more than 2,000 employees, requested additional safety protocols due to consistently unwanted behavior. That's their quote. RTD released a memo that's uh, stating that they will be partnering with the Department of Homeland Security's Transportation Security Administration in creating multiple teams of security officers in addition to a transit police officer. Denise, we start with you on this one. Uh, Union Station is the most recent kind of crown jewel for Denver right now. It's, it's bright and shiny and, and beautiful. It's in all the holiday ads. Come check out Union Station. Um, but here we have not uh, business owners, but people working for RTD saying, we're down here all the time. We need some help. Is this being tackled the right way? Is it pointing to things that other things that need to get done? Well, I do first want to acknowledge, sure, that there might be uh, some issues related to public safety, not only for the workers, but certainly for passengers and, and others. But I think we also need to acknowledge that Colorado right now is a hotspot for opioid use, for addiction, and for death. And what are we doing about that opioid addiction? Certainly, we cannot jail our way out of these problems. And what I find a little unfortunate about the RTD approach, and of course the union approach, is it's just... Only one way to define public safety is more police on the ground and more jails. And the fact of the matter is, is that we are one of the most carceral countries in the world, and we still are no safer. So what I would like RTD to do is to push for more other definitions and ways to get us public safety. More mental health beds more behavioral health that's free and easily accessible. I think we also uh, should consider safe injection sites. There's lots of things that we could do um, instead of focusing solely on carceral alternatives. In so many ways, this is sort of the definition of insanity for me, is you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. Jailing our way out of this is not going to happen. 
Penny, there's a, a, a lot of different angles here, but I, I sense a greater urgency because Union Station is the shiniest, brightest part right now downtown. We've already seen what's happened with Denver Civic Center needing to be closed. And while it's limited open for a holiday market right now, it's within a bunch of fences. 16th Street Mall has had its bigger problems PR-wise. Um, Lodo has even had this thing. Union Station is like, okay, hey, we, we've got that. Um, do you think that there'll be more attention because of that? There's already a lot of attention down there. This is a very specific problem the union brought up. I spent a lot of time down at Union Station. You know, it's fine. If, when you go to the restaurants and you go out to see the Christmas lights, the problem they're really focusing on is what happens when you come in on transit, and it is a lot of drug use. That's not necessarily affecting someone else, but it's certainly affecting the employees. It's not affecting Joe blow from Highland Ranch who comes down to look at Santa, but it's affecting the people who have to monitor the passengers on those trains. So RTD is right to look at a new plan to make people who are taking that transportation safely. The Denver Public, uh, the Denver Police Department has already been all over the area around Union Station and Lodo because of crimes, a lot of which follow let out in the clubs at two in the morning. That's a very different problem, too. So there are many different crimes. Drugs is one of them, but attacking it on all ends, like homelessness, it's not just one thing. But I'll say this, downtown, that part of, that part of downtown, if you're just going out to dinner, it's fine. David, what do you think about the union's request and how the city's handled it so far? Uh, a, a good start. As Denise said, in the, the long term, it's important to, to put more resources into mental health, and I, I hope that's done, and five years from now, that, that may make things better. But you also have to do deal with the immediate problem, which is the workers at Union Station and some commuters, according to uh, the, new, the media reports, uh, feel the place is unsafe. It, it's, I've, I've been in, in Penn Station in Newark, where You've got very seriously mentally ill, dangerous people all over the place. And this is supposed to be the transportation hub for the region. And we, we can't allow Union Station uh, to deteriorate uh, like that. Andy, wrap it up for us. What do you think of what we've seen so far? Uh, yeah, for, for this topic, at least, you know, um, I think that the city of Denver has consistently criminalized where unhoused people can live. And now they've started to move to places like Union Station where they could where they can exist in one spot. And, you know, we see that with the closing of the National Western Complex Center, with these sweeps that are happening um, throughout the city. And so where are you supposed to go if you have no, nowhere else to go? And if you're a drug addict, where else are you supposed to use drugs if you have nowhere to live and no place to, um, to use them in safely? And as Denise mentioned, you know, one thing that could really help is some sort of safe space to use to use drugs where people can receive treatment, receive counseling, um, and hopefully break that, that chain of addiction. Well, it's time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. It's going to be a long-running topic, I can tell. Denver Public Schools, the new board, the new makeup of the board, just had an election. Then really what they could use a lesson in is civics and transparency, secret votes. I don't think that's really showing the students of Denver what we need. David. People who say things that are inaccurate, like a few minutes ago I said that the Los Angeles homeless population had doubled. That was wrong. It actually increased after their billion-dollar housing project. Uh, this week, Joe Biden talked about his happy memories about how he used to be a big-rig truck driver. And after the 1967 Arab-Israeli War, when he was a second-year law student at the bottom of his, near the bottom of his class, Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir asked him to be her special envoy uh, to Egypt. None of those things are true. <laughs> Andy. 
the fact that we're 20 months into a t- pandemic, six months after we've had vaccines that are widely available, and we have to go back to a mask mandate in the city of Denver and other counties throughout the state, it's a, it's a disgrace that people haven't taken the, the time to protect other people by getting the vaccine. Denise. Well, um, I think my disgrace of the week is those uh, U.S. Supreme Court justices uh, that signaled um, in the oral argument this week that it would be okay to overturn 50 years of Supreme Court precedent. Um, Overturning Roe will have real world and detrimental impacts for women and primarily women of color. Time to say something nice about somebody, not always easy. Patty. We are coming up on Colorado Gives Day on Tuesday, which is a great opportunity to give to a huge number of Colorado nonprofits have that matched. So study, go on the Colorado Gives Day site, see who really you would like to support this time. And also to our viewers, ran into a couple last night. Loyal viewers love this show. Sorry you don't have anything else to do Friday night. You could go to Union Station and eat dinner, but if you're watching the show, thanks. <laughs> if you do go to Union Station to have dinner, enjoy it. But DVR CIO, watch a little bit later. It's, it's good that way. David. Pursuant to the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, when President Biden was having a colonoscopy a couple weeks ago, he turned over the duties of the presidency to Vice President Harris. By our Constitution, she became the acting president. And so we have had our first female president. And by the way, considering President Biden's state, I wouldn't be shocked if she becomes our first longer term uh, female president and before 2024. Andy, we go to you. Um, it's not often that I get to see a civil rights activist and abolitionist run for office, and Elizabeth F. is doing that in House District 6, and that was a great thing to see that announced yesterday. Denise. I'm just going to uh, mention a, maybe a, a bill that actually moved in our United States uh, Congress, and it moved by bipartisan support, and it's known as Momnibus. And it was uh, run by a first-time uh, legislator, uh, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, and it really is trying to get at the issue of maternal health. Uh, right now, we see three out of five pregnancy-related deaths that they are preventable, and this bill is hoping to go uh, to some length to bring those numbers down. I think it's a good job well done. Well, I'll get involved two things, mentioning one, uh, echoing Patty's remarks about Colorado Gives Day. PBS 12 is one of those uh, uh, the, the different organizations that you can support on Colorado Gives Day. So if you enjoy this show, I hope you do. And also, uh, a melancholy uh, say something nice. We lost, uh, the show lost one of its biggest fans this week, uh, Paul Stafford, a longtime Colorado Winside Out fan and also a cousin of mine. Uh, we get to see each other, uh, ironically, every December, every Christmas, uh, in addition to other times of the year. He would always bring up how we watched the show. He was a big uh, member of the no- uh, North Denver community, did a lot of different service. Uh, he was part of a lot of different organizations, especially at Our Lady Mark Carmel Church. Uh, he will be missed. We, we, we lost him far too soon, but I hope uh, everyone in the family knows how much he's appreciated, and it'll be great to see his spirit live on with his, his boys, Tony and Phil, uh, and of course his wife, Patty, and with all the family that he left in, in, in good stead far too soon, but in good stead. For everybody here at Colorado Winside Out and PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.